Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Well, good morning, church out in Hortonville. Good morning. My name is Brandon, and uh, I'm just really happy to be here this morning. I have been trying to be a little more honest when people ask me, how's it going? Hey, that's our, that's our favorite question that we ask everyone all the time, right? Hey, how's it going? How's it, or how, how are you doing? And what do we say? Like, how do we answer? No matter what's going on in our life, we're like, oh, good, great. You know, I mean, our whole world can be on fire. But we're still like, never been better living the dream, you know. And, you know, it's partly true, isn't it? I mean, we usually are doing all right. But if we're honest, sometimes at least we'd say, you know, I'm good, but I'm a little tired too or, you know, a bit exhausted, overwhelmed. I'm a little stressed, uh, you know. Uh, and now, I'm not trying to get rid of saying how's it going and, and answering and so on. That's a courtesy, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to dismantle an entire social construct. But, but, but the, and the truth is we really can't go that deep with that many people that often. But if we go a little bit deeper with some people sometimes, it, it goes a long way, doesn't it? So I've been trying to be a little bit more honest. So when people ask me, uh, how's it going? I've been trying to pause and like think of something real. And it usually ends up being like, I'm good. And... Um, I also kind of want a nap, you know, because that's me, man. That's real. Some days I, I wake up excited to take a nap. I remember, I remember when my, my kids were little, littler, and sometimes they, like, fight against taking a nap. I remember just scratching my head being like, kid, you got no idea how good you got it. Why are you fighting this, you know? Let's trade places, all right? You go to the meeting and respond to the emails, and I'll take the nap. Sound good? You know? So here's the deal. Uh, how, are you, how are you doing? How's it going? Really? Like on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being your soul is just flourishing, and a 1 being you're drained. How are you doing? Really? As a society, we're drained. Across the board, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. A recent survey conducted uh, by the Society for Human Resources Management showed that 48% of U.S. workers, that's one one out of every two people, 48% of U.S. workers feel mentally and physically exhausted at the end of the workday. That same survey showed that 41% report feeling burned out from their work. A different survey showed 77% of workers. That's three out of four, y'all. That's three out of four of us. 77% of employees have experienced feelings of burnout, get this, at their current job. OSHA reports that more than 80% of U.S. workers have reported experiencing workplace stress and more than 50% believe that it is negatively impacting their life at home. Guys, we're, we're feeling the pressure. And, and, we, can't, and we can't turn it off. My, uh, my dad was a farmer. And he was always long on work, short on time. 
Uh, I remember him plowing fields, right? And there was always another row to plow. The work just was never, never finished. And at a certain point, you just have to stop, leave the tractor right there and, and call it a day. And I can picture my dad's old John Deere out in the middle of a field. And there's something I like about that picture is that it stayed there. Like he couldn't, he, he couldn't plug it in on his nightstand. It, it, it couldn't ping in the middle of a family dinner. Right, but, but our tractors, right, the problem with our tractors is that they, they, they don't stay out in the middle of the field, do they? We just bring them with us wherever we go, and there's always another row to plow. So we just keep, we keep plowing. Like, like well, I just, I, I just got, we, we never shut it off. Like, oh, I just send this email quick or respond to this text quick. We never shut it off. Thing is, we, we live in an always-on culture. Does that make sense? An always-on culture. And it's, it's grinding us down. It's wearing us down. Like even you guys, I, I, I imagine most people in here feel this. The you know, expectation, even outside of work hours, is to be always available, constantly connected, um, immediately responsive to work demands. Like you don't want to let your boss down, do you? You don't, wanna, you don't want anyone else on your team to look better than you, do you? So no matter where we're at or what we're doing or who we're with, we pull the tractor out and we, we plow another row. Send out one email, respond to that text quick. And we work late into the night and still wake up to full inboxes. And it's like digging a hole in dry sand. You get one shovel out and it, there's more just you know, backfills in there. See, the, the, the always-on culture is not only detrimental to our well-being, it's also counterproductive. There's a law of diminishing returns. Working more and more hours doesn't equate to better productivity. It actually just results in a subpar work quality. So what, what really happens when we work our fingers to the bone and wear ourselves out, all that really happens is that we eventually end up burnt out and hating our jobs. So, you know, that's great, right? And uh, I, the, it's just killing us, the always-on culture. And especially us, millennials. Man, we're the, we're the worst generation at this so far. Millennials, we, we, we can't shut it off. It's not necessarily that we're harder workers than anyone else. It's just that we can't, even if we don't have anything to do, we scroll endlessly and our mind's always racing. And what are we doing? We're watching cat videos. I mean, we don't know how to shut it off. We're slaves to an always-on culture. When God's people were slaves in Egypt, they were never allowed to take a day off. But here's the deal. It wasn't by choice. It was forced on them. They actually appealed to Pharaoh and said, would you give us time off so that we can go worship God? Right? We choose to be slaves to the always-on culture. Here's the deal. God didn't create us to be slaves to our work. He hasn't saved us so that we can be more busy. In fact, there's a commandment that deals with this exact issue. So I want to read it this morning, look at it a little bit more closely, and my goal is that by the time we're through, 
you will trust God enough to take a day off. Here it is, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. So would you pray with me now, church? Lord, I see two things very clearly in this commandment. One, that you made it non-negotiable for your people to take a day off, that there was supposed to be a day that was different. They'd work on six days, but one day would be different, and it would be holy, and it would be for rest, and it would be for worship, and they would stop everything they're doing, and they would focus on you. The second thing I see so clearly in there, Lord, is how much you care about your people, that you would, that you would not be a cruel taskmaster, but a loving and gracious and compassionate God who cares about us and knows what's best for us. So would you help us understand this commandment? Would you help us understand what it means for us today? And then would you help us to live it out? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so before we deep dive into it, I want to ask... Why do you think this was such a big deal? Like, pause and think about it. Like, this was such a big deal that made the top 10. This commandment is on the same list as you're not allowed to cheat on your wife or shoot her, right? This, this commandment is, it's, it's, it's up there. It's like, no, adultery, murder, no. And, it, and here's the deal. You better take a day off. What's going on here? Here's the deal. God was... Uh, bringing his people out of slavery in, in Egypt, and he was bringing them into Canaan, the promised land. And he, and he was making a covenant with his people. He was saying, listen, you, you, you're going to be my, my precious people. You're not slaves in Egypt anymore. You're free. You're not going to live that way anymore. You're going to live differently. And I'm bringing you into a new land but you're not going to live like the people who live there. You're going to live different than everyone else in the world around you. So, working yourself to the bone seven days a week, it's not why I made you. It's not why I'm saving you. So, the fourth commandment, the Sabbath, became one of the marquee signs of God's covenant with Israel. It was like a wedding ring. It was a sign that showed the world around them that this people had a special covenant relationship with Yahweh. 
And we're going to look at these verses a little more closely now. And there's a lot in there. This is a really big conversation. Uh, there's no way I can, I can even get started on it in, in the amount of time we have this morning. But there are three key things that I want us to learn from the fourth commandment. The first one is this. God commanded his people to practice a six-on, one-off rhythm of work and rest. Work six, rest one. Work six, rest one. And repeat, so on and so forth. Verse 12, observe the Sabbath day. How? By keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. To make something holy or to keep it holy means to set it apart so that it's different than all the rest of them. It's like carve it out for special use. This one's going to be different for a sacred purpose. And God says, I want you to do that for one day a week. One day. One day is going to be different than the other six. On the other six, verse 13, here's the deal. Do your labor. Do all the work you got to do. Absolutely. Right? Work isn't bad. Work was part of the original plan. Work existed pre-fall. Work is part of uh, why we're here. A lot of our purpose is attached to work. In fact, you ever notice how people who retire early always end up kind of floundering in life? Like, like vacations and avocado. It's good for, it's really good for a little bit. But then when, when that extended vacation kind of wears out, off, they, people tend to flounder a little bit until they find their new thing that they give themselves to and give their time to and something that challenges them and something that allows them to, to accomplish and to contribute and to, and to produce. Like work is part of the package. Work is part of why we're here. God says this is a good thing. I want you to do it well for six days. But I want you to rest well on the seven. I don't want you to work seven days. I want you to rest well so you can work well. I want you to rest well so you can serve well. So we should work six days a week. But what God's saying here is that we weren't made to work seven days a week. Verse 14, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. It's, it's kind of like God was saying, listen, what, like while you were in Egypt, Pharaoh didn't let you take a day off. But I'm a better king. Not only do I want you to take a day off, I'm going to make it mandatory. Because I know what's best for you. Like Pharaoh refused to let you rest. I'm going to make sure you never go a week without having a day off. Pharaoh refused to provide for you. But I'm going to show you that I can and will provide for you even if you take a break. Pharaoh hated you. I love you. Pharaoh disdained you. I delight in you. And so I'm going to ban you from participating in an always-on culture. You're, you're going to rest. Work six, rest one. Work six, rest one. And the second uh, lesson I want us to learn from the fourth commandment is this. God's people were responsible 
get this, not just for their own rest, but for the rest of anyone under their leadership. You process that? Verse 14, he says, the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, and hear this, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Why? So that your male and female servants, the people you lead, the people who are under your charge, so that they may rest as you do. Pharaoh had no problem taking a day off himself, but he wouldn't let God's people take a break. It's like God saying, I don't want you to be like that. You didn't like being led like that? Don't lead like that. Not only do I want you to take a day off, but I also want you to make sure that anyone who is under your leadership is able to do the same. Again, God's society that he was setting up at the time, it's like he's saying, employers, make sure you do whatever you got to do to give employees a day off. Husbands, do whatever is necessary that your wife is able to actually have a day of rest. Parents, Set the tone on this one so that your children know how to rest and will know how to do it when they get older. He even goes so far as to say, like, if you've got a donkey or an ox or any other animals, make sure you give them a day off too. All right, so here's my, my, real, my charge to you, Alliance Church. We've got to take this seriously. When was the last time you gave your donkey a day off? You better give that donkey a day off, guys. This is God's word we're talking about. This is important stuff, folks. Big picture. God says, I want you to take a day of rest. And I want you to make sure that anyone you're leading has the same opportunity. Now, the third thing I want us to learn from the fourth commandment is that God's reason for the day of rest was rooted in creation and salvation. Okay, let's process that. The, the salvation part, that side kind of makes sense from our text, doesn't it? Verse 15 says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord saved you from all that stuff. He brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, because God was powerful enough to save you, he's powerful enough to sustain you. So I want you to take a day off, just like the Lord commanded. So Sabbath is rooted in salvation. But why do I say that Sabbath, the day of rest, is also rooted in creation? You know that the Ten Commandments were recorded two times. The first one is in the book of Exodus, right as God's people were being brought out of Egypt. The second time is what we have here in, in Deuteronomy, and God's people are on the brink of being brought into the promised land. And in the Exodus passage, um, the, the reasoning for the Sabbath appeals not to salvation, but to the very creation account. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11 says this, For in six days 
the Lord made, the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, because that's how God did it, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the thinking is this. God made everything. God, in his creating, he worked. He made everything. And he also made us. And he made us in his image, in his likeness, to reflect his character. And he made everything, and then he rested. So, a day that is set apart for rest is part of the created order. The six-on, one-off rhythm is woven into the fiber of creation because God created it that way. Do you notice that a week is unlike any, anything else in our calendar? Like a day, that's the time it takes the earth to spin. A month is a lunar cycle. A year is how long it takes the earth to do a lap around the sun. What on, what's a week? A week has no basis in the cycles of nature. We find it in two places. One, divine revelation. And two, in the evidence of our own human experience. Life works best with a six plus one pattern. Interestingly, no, no major society has ever succeeded in moving away from a seven-day week. You guys know that France tried it right after the French Revolution. They moved to a 10-day week to increase productivity, but it failed miserably. Productivity plummeted. But you know what did increase? Injuries. Illness, exhaustion, mental health problems, unrest, interpersonal conflict, suicide rates. I recently read an article from Medical News Today. I'm not a doctor. I have no clue if they're a reputable source. But this article said you need, to, you need a day off a week. This is what the whole article was about. You need a day off a week. Why? To rest your body, repair your muscles, replenish your energy, prevent injury, and allow your mind to rest. And I wonder if God's up there going, no kidding. Like, did you read this stuff here, guys? Come on. You don't need a blog to tell you this? Like, if, there, if it would also said, uh, hey, and, and, and why, uh, you know, to rest and replenish, blah, 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 and, and, and worship God, it would have been like a sermon this thing, right? The six in one rhythm, six on, one off, that rhythm is intrinsic to how God wired the universe and then wired us to thrive in it. The six in one rhythm is intrinsic to how God created the universe and how he created us to dance best with its rhythms. God didn't create us and save us so that we can be slaves, so that we can worship productivity. Your schedule is not your status. The always-on culture just simply doesn't honor God, and it doesn't help us flourish. It's not doing us any favors. 
So, so how do we live this out? So we, we have the fourth commandment. How do we live this out? Now, it, it, it seems like it should be as easy as just saying, well, God commanded it, so we should just do it. It's not quite that simple. Why do I say that? It's because this is the only one of the Ten Commandments that is not repeated in the New Testament. And that is not an accidental omission. There's not a scripture writer in heaven going, oh, man, we should have mentioned the Sabbath again. Actually, they discuss the Sabbath a lot because they talk about how it changed when Jesus came. Like, not, not like changed like a garbage sack when you take out the trash. You know, you throw the old one away and you, you put a new different one in. No, it changed like a seed changes into a flower. You see, the, the Sabbath, like I said earlier, it, it was, it was, it was kind of like a wedding ring. It was a, it was a sign of the covenant relationship that God had with his people. But the Sabbath was also kind of like an engagement ring. It showed the world that something better was coming in the future. And now that something, or should I say that someone better, has come. Namely, Jesus the Messiah, the one who said, as we read earlier, come to me, all you who are worn out, all you that are weary, heavy laden, come, I will give you rest. See, Jesus is the substance of the Sabbath shadow. When the real thing arrived, the shadow moved now, the early church began to worship on Sunday mornings. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday morning, and we began commemorating the Lord's Day. But more specifically, what I'm talking about is that the Sabbath in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, when Jesus came, the Sabbath ceased to be a law and became, and hear this, became a gospel-centered expression of our relationship with Jesus, who is himself Lord of the Sabbath. So that means that no Sabbath practice should be kept with any sense of legalism. Right? The Sabbath is a wonderful servant, a terrible master. And Jesus himself said, look, you guys, the Sabbath was made for humans, like not the other way around. Paul argued against enforcing the Sabbath as if it were still a law. So, that's what we have on one hand. But on the other hand, we still have the fact that regular Christ-centered rest woven into your schedule will help you flourish and help you glorify God. So, so one, one way to think about it is, is that in the New Testament, let's get to the, in the New Testament, the Sabbath is more of a principle than a law. Laws don't have any wiggle room, do they? Like if I get pulled over for doing 75 and a 65, 
I can't say to the officer, well, in my culture, miles per hour are a little bit different, so I do things a little different. No, there's no wiggle room in laws. But principles get applied differently based on different situations. So how do we live out the fourth commandment as new covenant followers of Christ? Well, here's a couple things that'll be helpful. A lot of things have, a lot has changed since the Old Testament. There's no specific day. Paul specifically says it's not about a specific day. And there's no specific parameters. It's not a letter of the law command to be enforced. It's a spirit of the law principle to be lived out. Sabbath breaking isn't a capital offense. I promise you guys in this church, if we catch you picking up sticks on a Saturday, we're not going to stone you to death. Okay, like Paul even says, like, we're not even supposed to judge each other about how and when we practice Sabbath rest. So how do we, how do we know if we're living this thing out? I'll say it this way. It's one of those things to know exactly how, how to obey it. It's, it's one of those things that's hard to say, this is how you obey it. But I think it's easy to know when you're not o- obeying it. I think, I think we all know. Like though we, we, those of us who we've got the word of God, we've got the spirit of God living in us. I think we know when we're not living this one out. If you never take time, never take time to rest or worship, if you only pause when you're totally exhausted, if you wait for sickness to give you a Sabbath before you'll rest, odds are pretty good you're not living this out. I want to pause just for a second. I want to just make sure you guys know that I'm not, I'm not standing here like someone who's got this figured out. I'm not trying to position myself as the expert. Uh, I chose this topic because of how badly I needed the conviction from this topic. A lot has changed since the Old Testament, but there's a lot that hasn't changed. So this is why we need to not just totally disregard the fourth commandment. What hasn't changed? We're still human. Like back then, the Sabbath gave God's people rest. We still need rest. You know what else hasn't changed? We're still sinful. Like back then, the Sabbath would realign God's people's affection and their devotion with God. And we still drift from God, don't we? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The Sabbath back then helped God's people to have no other gods before me. And we're still idolatrous. You know something else that hasn't changed? The world still needs to know about God. See, back then the Sabbath helped God's people tell the world a different story about a different type of God, a better story about a better God. People still need to hear that story. 
And, and the way we live our lives is still the loudest megaphone we'll preach with. I'd like to invite the musicians to come back up wherever they're at. Maybe they're in back. Come back up. I'd like us to respond in song when we're done here. But here's, here's my best shot at trying to understand what a Sabbath is in the New Testament. What the Sabbath is for those of us who live in 2023 in Northeast Wisconsin. I believe the Sabbath, how you should understand it, is a Christ-centered, life-giving, restful day off. Now, it's up to you to work out the details personally. But I believe Sabbath should involve three things. One, it should involve stopping. Like the very word Sabbath is derived from the Hebrew verb to cease. So Sabbath should involve ceasing. You cease your work. Cease your worry about work. You cease your wanting all the stuff that work could get you. Just cease all that. Sabbath should also involve resting. Rest for your mind, rest for your body, rest from your soul, for your soul. And finally, Sabbath should involve worshiping. Like when we, we praise, how's it Christ-centered? We praise Jesus. We seek to align our hearts with Jesus. We're fed by his word. We delight in the beauty of Jesus. We delight in the beauty of Jesus as it is expressed in and through all of creation. <laughs> you, you hang out with your son or your daughter and you see Jesus. You smell a flower and you see Jesus. Don't let anyone dictate the details of Sabbath for you. That's legalism. But I do believe that one-seventh of your calendar should just be different. Don't fit God into your schedule. Build your schedule around God. I would like to invite you to stand now if you're able. We're going to sing a song that preaches to our own souls to remember to bless God. My challenge to you today is this, church. Would you trust God enough to take a Christ-centered day off to stop, to rest, and to worship? Don't continue sacrificing on the altar of an always on culture. God gives us a beautiful alternative. So would you trust him enough to take a day off? Let's sing now.